Shall we pray? Father, we just come to you, Lord, once again. One more time, Lord, you gave us life, another day, to prepare ourselves, Lord, not for what we can do for you, but for what you will do through us. Help us, Lord, help us to hear, to believe, to obey. I pray, Father, in this coming year, our hearing will be even more sharpened, Lord. It's everything begins there, Lord, hearing from you. Touch our ears even this morning that we may hear, Lord. And speak to us. That we may at the end receive more of your spirit. Because it's the anointing that will break the yoke. It's the anointing that will teach us all things. It's the anointing that sets captives free. It's the anointing that does the work of God. So we empty ourselves this morning and wait at your feet, Lord. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 If I'm right, it's 11.20. That means one. 12 hours, 40 minutes left. Now we, sometimes we wonder, are we becoming more like the, like the world? But we are not. The reason is, if you look into Genesis chapter 1, this is just an aside, okay? And verse 14. Could you read? Genesis 1 and verse 14. And God said, let there be light in the firmament of heaven, to divide the day from the night. And let there be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. Okay, the first time when God uses the word assign is when he put the sun and the moon in place. So the day and the year are signs. They are signs. Okay, you will see the entire gospel according to John. Every miracle of Jesus Christ is called a sign. Because there is a sign, which means it's pointing to something else. And Pastor Vijay on the fifth day, he preached yesterday. Because these signs are connected with time. The only commodity we have now. In eternity there is no time. So God will always tell us about to count our time, to number our days, to redeem our time, because there's something about time. Once it is lost, it's never got back. It's gone. You cannot. It's gone. So these are signs. So today we are in the sixth day, and we are. We've been looking, and for those who were in there, uh, it's there on the website, and I would, I would really, really request you to listen to those uh, uh, yesterday's message, of course, we heard, but listen again, and the previous four days, <clears throat> so that no, we we are we prepare ourselves as sons and daughters of God to to enter into 2019 and not to miss anything that God wants to do through each one of us personally. He he has to do through us. That's the reason we are fasting, and we saw the the different ways in which people fast in the Bible and the reason. It's all there in the earlier days messages. But primarily fasting is when we dethrone king's stomach. And uh, 
Okay, stomach is the king. Okay, he will direct your paths if you let him. Okay, so fasting is one of the way that king is, is dethroned. And then the other king is our intellect, our mind, the part of our soul. And uh, fasting is also a way we bring our soul subject to our spirit. That's where God speaks. Okay. Most people, 99% of the people work by the soul, their intellect, their understanding, their mind. But God's people are called to be led by the spirit. The spirit doesn't talk to the soul. The spirit speaks to the spirit and the soul, if it is full of the word of God or the more the word is there, it's able to decipher that code. Remember that old example which I gave you from 19th century when there was this wireless telegraph? And there was an interview, there was a vacancy, and three, four people came over there. They were all sitting, and then one man came in last, and he sat. And inside it is a telegraph office, they're all waiting to be called, and uh, they could hear the Morse code going on. Suddenly, the man who came last went inside, and they were all upset. How is the last fellow going inside? He went in, and after 15, 10 minutes later, he came out, and the manager came out and says, interview is over, he has been selected. And they all got upset and said, how can you do that? We came in the morning, we have been waiting all this while this man came at the list. He said, if you had listened to what the code was saying, who would understand the message come in for the interview? You were not listening. He heard, he understood, he went in, he got selected in the interview and he walked out with the job. Okay, that's what I said. 99.99% of our issues are that we don't hear. We don't hear. And one of the problems we don't hear is because our, our flesh is so strong that it clouds our ears or our intellect is so full of understanding and reasonings of the world that when God speaks, like in the Morse code, we are not able to decipher what he is saying because, like I said, the Bible is a language. If I have to understand what God is saying, I need to have the word in me. And the word will help me to understand Hey. I hear all these things, but I think I hear what God is speaking. So it is the body and the soul, the mind part of it. And remember, the first temptation in Genesis chapter 3 was actually aimed at the stomach and it was aimed at the mind. Chapter 3 verse 6 says, When the woman saw the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom. So the target was that, to the stomach and to the mind. And when she saw that, it was, okay, I have eaten all these fruits, but I haven't eaten this one. Okay, let me try. That's how we go for restaurants, okay? Advertisement is given, and we say, okay, I've eaten in all these restaurants, but I haven't gone to this one. Okay, that's the same. Okay, she, they have all these trees over there. Call it a restaurant apple, restaurant orange. She said, eat in all these restaurants. But don't eat in that one. You get it, you will have a stomach upset. But... I haven't tried that. I haven't tried that. Let me try it, okay? And that's exactly what happened. The stomach and the mind and like they literally ate themselves out of the house and out of their home. And they ate themselves out of the will of God. Their stomachs and their minds, they temporarily sacrificed it. But it did not know the consequences were eternal. Okay, so from the first, the attack is that way. 
And that's why God says be very, 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 very careful that our appetites can ruin even subsequent generations. Can ruin subsequent generations. That's why if you look, if you remember the core of the messages we heard, God puts these three things, fasting, prayer, and giving, and puts this, ties this up together as a threefold cord which cannot be broken. But you have to understand what it means spiritually because everybody fasts. Every religion they fast. Atheists fast too, too, because they know it detoxifies your body. They fast, so it's not out. Every religious person prays. Okay, even the religious Christian prays. So if God is not talking about, he says you have to understand what is the purpose. If you look at, uh, uh, the book of Ezekiel, uh, the older generation who bear in the church, they know those verses well. Yeah, chapter 16. Yeah, see, they know it so well. Verse 49 and verse 50. Ezekiel chapter 16, verse 49 and 50. Now, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. Okay? Now, when we read the book of Genesis, we see Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed by God. And we always think they were destroyed by God for the sin of homosexuality. But that was only the symptom outside. The real reason it destroyed the meaning, you need to realize, some people have symptom, some people have the disease inside, but there is no outward symptom, but they are still dying inside. Okay, so just because you don't have a symptom outside does not mean you don't have the disease inside. So here God goes into that pathologist, radiologist format and he tells what was the actual disease that caused this symptom. And he says, this was the sin of your sister Sodom. And what's the first thing said? They were? Proud. They were proud. And they were? Full. full. They were overfed. And they did not? Idleness. Okay. Idleness, and they did not strengthen the hand of the, the poor and the needy. Did you see? And they were haughty, and God put them aside. The first thing He says, they were arrogant. They're full of pride. They were arrogant. Okay. See that one of the thing we looked at prayer is a prayer is a way of humbling ourselves. Lord, I need you. Arrogant people never pray. And even if they pray, they are not asking anything from God in their prayer. They are showing off to God, I don't need you. I'm, I'm good enough. Okay? So the first thing about that where they, they had no prayer life. There were no dependence upon God. Okay? And second thing you would say, they were full of bread. There were no fasting in their life. There were no fasting in their life. They were overfed. They were, they were always feasting. But they were not fasting. Okay, some remember, we can fast for our children. We can pray for our children when they are small. But when they grow up, if we keep on fasting and praying for our children, our God may not listen to our prayers. So Job fasted and prayed for his children who were always feasting. When judgment came, the children were taken out. God didn't listen to his fasting and prayer. If you see the, this thing over there in the book of Job, you will see Job fasted. His children feasted. So you have Sodom and Gomorrah. They are feasting. There is no fasting in their lifestyle. Okay, So you look at Sodom and Gomorrah as the representative of a kind of people. They are very arrogant. Very, very arrogant. They are very arrogant. The arrogance is shown in that there is no prayer life. 
Okay, you could be somebody who comes to church but actually has a nil prayer life. And God says, you're coming to church, but you're arrogant. You show absolutely no dependence on me. Okay, they have no, yeah, come quickly, sit down. Okay, they have no prayer life. They're proud. Second, they have no fasting in their life. You know, fasting is a way of humbling yourself. Okay, you are saying, Lord, this body, I will not let it control me. I need to hear a voice, so I'm going to afflict my body, humble myself before thee. It's Bible t- keeps on talking about it. In the book of Psalms, David says, I humble myself through fastings. You humble yourself because the, why is the, the main reason is this. Anything that God does in a believer's life is only through grace. And grace is given only to the humble. And we know that. How, how do I humble myself? God says there are ways I have told you how you humble yourself. Fasting is a way. Praying is a way. And giving to the others is a way by which you humble yourself. When you give to somebody, you are actually not trying to be to be uh, like saying, I'm better than you. We are saying that you see, I see you have a need and I'm giving it to you because I too am somebody who is needy and who receives this from God. Okay, so here you will see that they were arrogant. Sodom was arrogant meaning they did not pray, they were overfed, they had no lifestyle of fasting, and scripture says they never gave to the needy. So these three gods were completely broken in their life. It was just a question of time before they were swept away. Okay, so God talks about why do we fast? Everybody fasts and pray, but we cannot fast and pray outside the kingdom of God. We have to understand scriptural principles as to why we pray. And there was no humbling in themselves and God destroyed them. And also you will see why, you know, like I said at the beginning, we are dethroning king stomach and we are dethroning king intellect. We are dethroning. If you go to Genesis chapter, very familiar, very, very familiar verses, but in the light of what we are doing, okay? In Genesis chapter 25 and verse 34, scripture says, Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate, he drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright, his inheritance. Okay, his inheritance was spiritual. But he despised something was spiritual for a temporary carnal satisfaction. Okay, so his stomach was ruling him. And because his stomach was ruling him, he will never really spiritually see what was his eternal destiny, what are the spirit. That's the thing, no? We Christians, if you do not have a lifestyle of fasting and praying, God will never be able to reveal the spiritual things. Even if it is there right in our eyes spiritually, we will not be able to see it because our eyes are blinded by our stomach and our intellect. Okay, so Esau could not see what he was losing and he despised it because his eyes were blinded by his appetites. Another place you see is in Genesis chapter 20, uh, uh, 27 if I am right, right? 27. And verse 7. Or you can read 25-28 also. That's enough. 25-28. Isaac loved Esau. 
Because he ate of his game. Okay, that's enough. <laughs> you see, Isaac loved Esau because he loved the meat Esau brought. That's the first thing that is written when these two sons are born. Okay, the sons are going two different ways, two different professions. Okay, and you know, that happens to parents. Parents love certain children because of the profession is close to their heart. Close to their heart. And that blinds their eyes from seeing the spiritual one. Blinds their eyes from seeing the spiritual one. Jacob is the one chosen. But he likes meat. Esau brings meat. So he loves Esau. Okay. Now God says, be very, very careful. Don't be blinded. Because these are all appetites of the stomach of the soul. Okay. So you, you, you will, you can miss out completely because your appetites are blinded. And God says for your spirit to be open, you have to let your stomach die. You have to, you have to afflict your stomach. You have to afflict your soul. Then another very familiar portion. Let's come to the book of Numbers. Okay. Because we need to understand because at the end of it, as we start next year for all of you, if not many of you, I want this to be our lifestyle, the church doesn't have to call for a seven-day fast. It's your lifestyle. It's your lifestyle. Because Jesus did not say if, he said when. You pray, when you fast. And when he talks about that, he's not talking in the terms of a body of people. It's talking about individuals. Because when he says, nobody should even know about it, meaning that's your lifestyle. Here we all know we are fasting. We are praying. We have separated. We have gathered in a place. We are all there. But he's not talking about that. He's talking about a lifestyle. Where fasting is a lifestyle. Praying is a lifestyle. Giving is a lifestyle. And it's between you and God. And therefore your clarity comes as you move each day. Let's go to Numbers chapter 11. And we read from verse 4 to 7. Again, very familiar. 4 to 6 is enough. Yeah. Could somebody read loudly? Now the mixed multitudes who were among them yielded to instant intense craving. Mm-hmm. The children of Israel also wept again and said, Who will give us meat to eat? We remember the we remember the fish we ate freely in Egypt. The cucumbers, the the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now our whole being is dried up. There is nothing at all except this manna before our eyes. Ah, did you see? <laughs> God is, no thing is that they have forgotten everything that God has done. All that miracles, mighty signs, everything. No, that's the problem with it. The problem is not with the miracles we experience or the signs we see. If our appetites are not put to death, we will forget what God did. And we will be still led by our appetites, our body, our soul. We will be still led and God is not to lead us to the land of promises. They had a promised land. We are going to a land of promises. All the promises God has for us individually, separately, differently. Because your promises are considered connected with your destiny on earth. Your work on earth. My promises are connected with the work which God has called me. Your, you have a work which God has called you and your promises. Are, so my promises and your promises won't be the same. But we miss our promises because we are controlled by our appetites. Okay? And then... Because our appetites are clouding our ears and taking our whole being, what happens is we find the word of God tedious. Word of God tedious. And that's what they are saying, the word of God. So we are tired. We never see anything. We never see anything other than this manna. And they are tired of it. And what happened? Look at God's response in verse 18. 
to 20. Tell the people, consecrate yourself in preparation for tomorrow when you will eat meat. The Lord heard you when you wailed. If only we had meat to eat. We were better off in Egypt. Now the Lord will give you meat and you will eat it. You will not eat it for just one day or two days or five or ten or twenty days, but for a whole month until it comes out of your nostrils and you loathe it because because you rejected the Lord. He said you rejected me. God took it very personally. He said you rejected me. When you reject my word and you crave for other things, you are rejecting me. And you know what? Whatever your flesh asked, all your dreams and all your prayers, I will give it to you. And it will make you so sick one day your life and you will realize your prayers have put you into bondage because you rejected me. You have to see spiritually what God is talking about. He says, I was trying to feed you. I was trying to show you eternal destiny. I was trying to open your spiritual eyes, prepare you strong, that you go battle these powers of darkness and one day reign in my presence. You are not interested in any of these things. You are always asking for worldly things and carnal things and carnal dreams. And he says, okay, fine. I'll give it to you. I'll give it to you. And one day, he says, you will loathe it. You'll detest your blessings because you rejected me. So we have to see it always that way. And verse 34 says, Therefore the place was named Kibroth Hatava because there they buried the people who had craved other food. Okay. It is not, it's not problematic to eat food, but when you crave for something and you start disliking the word of God and getting so angry because this is not being given, only this is being given, God says, that's where you will be buried. You have dug your own grave because and we are not talking about salvation here, okay? Salvation is the supernatural work of God, but beyond salvation. They have come out of, they did not die in Egypt, okay? They have been brought out of Egypt, but they did not enter the promised land. They are dying in the wilderness, okay? They are dying, all of them are dying in the wilderness. So it, if salvation was dependent upon our work, none of us would be saved. It is only dependent upon the work of God. So this, this, Days, you no, know, go back for those who haven't listened, listen to the other messages. Change our thinking about everything. Because we are also like them moving from year to year to possess our promises. They had a land, but we have promises. And scripture says in the new covenant, every promise is yes and amen in Christ Jesus. Okay, it's all in him. We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. If I don't see the spiritual blessing, I will not experience it on earth. Because Jesus said, first you have to see. Once you're born again, you see. And then you enter. Once you're born again from above, you see and you enter into the kingdom of God. It is a continuous promise. Every spiritual blessing I need is in Christ Jesus. I have to see that promise. Once I have seen the promises by faith, I enter into that promise. Okay. And the promises of God are all yes and amen in Christ Jesus, but they are all in Christ. It's never outside Christ. So God says, there is a battle. And strength for that battle can only come from dedication, consistent separation, fasting, prayer, and feeding on God's word. The more you feed, 
the easier it is to separate and you don't miss that separation. The rabble who never really fed and allowed that word to get into his word, into that word and allowed the spirits to be separated, always missed Egypt. A lot of people in Christendom miss the world. Miss the world. We don't miss the world. Because we have been saved from the, we go to the world, but we don't miss the world at all. We don't miss the world at all, or we shouldn't miss the world at all. We go to the world because we've got a work to do, but we don't miss the world. We should be missing church. When we are at duty in the world, we are missing church. But that's not how people are. Many people miss the world. Even when they are sitting in church, they miss the world. Okay, so these are the warnings which God is giving. Okay, in First Corinthians chapter 10, you know, and verse 7. Somebody could read that. Chapter 10 and verse 7. And do not become idolaters, as were some of them. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat, to drink. Did not say they rose up to pray. They rose up to play. Because what did they put first? They put food and drinking first. We don't put food and drinking first. Okay, we put fasting first and giving first and we rise up to pray. We rise up to pray. Okay, but this is a completely different order and in all religions has come into Christianity too that religion is eating, drinking and celebration. There is a season God has kept for celebration season. But until he comes, much of our life is spent in fasting and praying and giving over. Okay, Otherwise, we haven't understood the kingdom. Okay, Because the kingdom will come one day. Until it comes, it doesn't affect our day-to-day life like the world does. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 19, this is what Apostle Paul says, 3.19. Their destiny is destruction, not glory, okay? The destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their shame. Okay, three things he says. Our destiny is not destruction. Our destiny is glory because our God is Christ. But their God is their stomach and glory is in their shame. Our glory is in the reproach of Christ. We glory in the reproach of Christ, like Pastor Vijay was teaching it, the taunts of the world. Don't care. We glorify in that. That's what Paul talks about Moses. He glorified in the reproach of Christ. He took it as a, he took it as a, what you call, commendation. Commend it as his stripes, you know, like you know in the army, the stripes, the more he was reproached, the more he took it as his glory. And that's how God is talking about. You know, we don't see life as the world sees. So, Romans 12, 1, we looked at it over and over. It says, so offer your bodies as living sacrifice. Now, that, we have to look at it in, in a different perspective today. Just one thing from that. We looked at it in depth over the years, the last few days. But you see, Scripture uses the term, offer your bodies as what? A living what? You see, once a sacrifice is given, it can never be taken back. It can never be taken back. That's the nature of a sacrifice. Once it is given, it is given. It can never be taken back. It can be never be taken back. 
So God says, your sacrifice, give it as a living sacrifice. You know what? All of you who have fasted your breakfast, God accepts it as a sacrifice. It can never be taken back. You can go back and eat your breakfast. It's over. Time is over. For breakfast, time is over. It's accepted as a sacrifice. God says it's a living sacrifice. I accept your sacrifice. Okay? And if you consistently decide, this is going to be part of my lifestyle. Okay? Let's, let's look at it, uh, uh, let's look at it in terms of the stomach and let's look at it in terms of the soul, the intellect. Okay? Intellect, we have doctors sitting over here. They will all tell you, and it is actually a fact. The best, uh, the most important meal of the day, they will tell you, is breakfast. Because they're going to work the whole day. Okay? okay. Now, after that, the second important meal of the day would be like, uh, you would like, no? Like, if they will tell you, if you're fasting, don't fast breakfast. Fast lunch. You're eating breakfast, and then you work, and then you go eat dinner. Then if you fast dinner, it doesn't matter. I eat breakfast and lunch. Anyway, I'm fasting, going to sleep. And I'll wake up in the morning and break my fast. Okay? So, all these three meals, whichever you choose, is a sacrifice. But the greatest sacrifice is to go against the intellect and the body and fast breakfast. <laughs> That's the real sacrifice. That's the real sacrifice. Lord, I am beginning my day with a fast. Beginning my day with a fast. That's, that's okay. That's where it comes. Okay, Every sacrifice is not the same. Every sacrifice is not, is not the same. Okay, when a man has uh, ten children, he gives one, he sacrifices. When a man has only one child, he gives one. It is different. Doesn't look the same. So which meal you give as a sacrifice also differs. Okay, there are no rules. Okay, these are all spiritual principles. Like I said, once you have given it, it cannot be taken away. Esau could not take back what he had already given. It's gone. He's eaten. Eaten and sold is birthright. Okay. So, we also consciously, we appropriate a lifestyle in 2019. I'm using the term we, but it is individual. Okay. But the purpose is, Lord, I am humbling myself and I'm afflicting my soul that you will constantly speak to me and give me the strength for each day. Jesus did not put fasting and prayer for his people as an option. He didn't say if, if is an option. He said when, when you fast. Okay. In the gospel according to Luke, we looked at it uh, last time from Mark, but in the gospel according to Luke, if you come to verse chapter 5, okay, I want to look at something slightly different today. And you come to verse 33 onwards. Jesus said to him, okay, this is the guy who came, okay, John's disciples, they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. So everybody fasts. The Pharisees fast. John's disciples fast. Jesus' disciples are not fasting. Jesus answered, can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. So Jesus is teaching them, okay? He said, everybody fasts, but my disciples don't have to fast because I'm with them. I'm with them. Okay, like, remember two days back we found, we said, the, the most 
core part of fasting beyond all the other issues the core part of fat, the most important facet of fasting we can sometimes forget jesus says they don't need to fast because i am with them one of the primary reasons or the primary reason we fast is to experience god's presence more powerfully because when the stomach is dull and the intellect is afflicted your spirit starts experiencing god he says i am with them they don't need to fast when I am gone, my people will start fasting because they will realize we need to be connected to God. We need to be daily connected to God. We need to experience His presence. Okay, so understand, we fast for many, many, many reasons we fast. But the primary reason we fast is so that I was, because God is a spirit and the Holy Spirit is a spirit. He says, it's better for you that I go. When I go, I'll send somebody just like me, but he is the spirit. The world cannot see him. The world cannot know him, but he will. He'll be with you and he will be in you. But he is in my spirit. But if my stomach is out and my intellect is booming, I will not experience his presence in my spirit. So I have to cut down my stomach and afflict my soul so that he can speak to my spirit and I'm able to hear clearly clarity come. So that's how you experience the presence of God. Yet, remember, we are in the new covenant and we have the old covenant. Old covenant is the letter, new covenant is the spirit. So we learn from the letter about the spirit, meaning they all fasted in the Old Testament. We don't fast. Physically, outwardly, we may fast the same way. But spiritually, it is completely different. Here, Jesus says, immediately connected with that, he says, he told them this parable. So, he's explaining the fasting his disciples will do after he's taken away in the terms of a parable. Okay, remember, parable are dark sayings. Parables are given so that we understand something that is deep, spiritually in the terms of an example. So he's giving a parable. He says, no one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it on an old one, on an old one. If he does, he will have torn the new garment and patch from the new will not match the old. No one pours new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and the wine will run out and the wineskin will be ruined. No. New wine must be poured into new wine skins, and no one after the drinking the old wine wants a new, for he says the old is better. Okay? So now he talks about something over here. In the Bible, garments represents righteousness, and wine represents the Holy Spirit, the joy of the Holy Spirit or the Holy Spirit. In the old covenant, the problem was the people were under the law. So if you had to be righteous, you have to do the law. You have to keep the law. Your righteousness comes from doing. Okay? In the new covenant, our righteousness doesn't come from doing. We are the righteousness of God. There is a difference. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 21, if good. Yeah, yeah, yes. Second Corinthians five twenty one. Somebody quickly, otherwise. But we made him who knew no sin to be sin, mm-hmm. that we might become the righteousness of God. So that we may become the righteous. No, not that we should do and become. We have become. 
everyone who has received Christ repented has been born again who have received Christ the Holy Spirit has come in we have become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus okay now the thing is that therefore we have new garments inside and we have new wine inside the thing is that as you hear the word and as you believe and as you obey you are growing and as you're growing, your garments will split. Your garments will split. And when your garments split, you cannot attach an old piece there. You have to attach a new piece there. That's what he's talking about. You cannot do things according to the old ways. That's why he's getting upset with the church in Galatia. Did you receive your righteousness by doing or by becoming? Now that you, this thing, why are you trying to attach old pieces to your righteousness? Are you getting what he is trying to say? Old things have passed away. New garments are the righteousness of God as opposed to the righteousness of the law. New wine is the, wine is the joy of the Holy Spirit we have. The old ones, they had joy when they did something. We have joy without doing anything. That is why Jesus is saying, I am giving you peace and I am giving you joy. It cannot be taken away. It cannot be taken away. Okay. Old Testament could be taken away. If you did not do what you had to do, the joy is gone. In the New Testament, joy is something that is given to you because of Christ in you. So, praying and fasting, you need to realize are Old Testament patterns. But, you have to do it in the New Covenant ways. In Mark chapter 14, if you look at verse 8. Mark chapter 14 and verse 8. She has done what she could. Mm. She has come with beforehand to anoint my body for burial. Okay. First thing, yeah, yeah, that's enough. That's enough, okay? This is the lady who is anointing Jesus' body. Okay? And he says, she has anointed my body for burial. So, when you are born again, and you have these garments of righteousness, and the Holy Spirit comes and he anoints you, the first thing, the reason for the anointing in the new covenant is for the death of the old man. It's for the death of the old man. Okay. The first thing in the morning, when you're fasting, when you're praying and you're asking something from God, what you ask is first, is not for the new man. First you ask is for the death of the old man. Lord, anoint me that the old man is dead and buried. Otherwise it will be conflict through the day. Old man and new man and old man and new man. First thing you ask the power of the Holy Spirit, Lord, come in and kill the old man. Anoint me. Kill me. And then... Luke chapter 7 and verse 46. Again, Jesus is in another place. Same, this thing, but he's talking something else. Yeah. You did not anoint my head with oil, mm. but this woman has anointed my feet with pregnant oil. Yes. Now, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now he is saying, Jesus is telling this Pharisee, I came to your house. When guests come into the house, Jewish tradition, they wash their feet. They anoint them. He says, I came to your house. Did you anoint me? Did you anoint me? I'm your guest. 
Did you welcome me? Did you anoint me? The second part of it is one, the anointing is for the death of the old man. The anointing is actually preparing our hearts, our soul, our mind, our body, our spirit to welcome the Holy Spirit into today's life. Come Lord, you are welcome. I wash my feet and I anoint so that you are welcome in my life. This is not about me today, this is about you today. You are a welcome you. I welcome you. You see, the New Testament, it completely changes. Everything changes. This is not about us. This is about him. This is the death of the old man and welcoming Jesus Christ into our life today also. Come, Lord. That's why every day he says, do I have my place? That's why he says it's a living sacrifice. Every day I will. I cannot go on yesterday's consecration today. Because when I wake up in the morning, the old man is alive, the new man is alive. And God says, what are you going to do? I say, Lord, Holy Spirit, come and let the old man die. And Lord, you're welcome in this place. You're a very honored guest. See, when we have a guest, honored guest in our house, you know, the whole house changes around for that guest. You're welcome into my house, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus. God says, you see, things have changed now. Okay, Christ is made welcome. In the Old Covenant, you need to realize, we know we looked at it. Both kings, priests, and prophets were anointed for service. And in the New Covenant, we God says, we are what? Okay, let me ask, not the senior ones. Which is that reference? Where God says you are kings and priests. Revelation 5.10. God says you are kings and. In the old covenant. You know the old covenant. Kings were anointed. Priests were anointed. Prophets were anointed. What did prophets do? They prophesied. That's why they were anointed. And scripture says. Prophecy is the testimony of Christ. So every one of us is a prophet because when we open our mouth, it's a testimony of Christ, not our testimony. He says, I have anointed you as kings, have anointed you as priests, and have anointed you as prophets. This is a new covenant. It's a complete, complete paradigm shift. Everything changes. It's a game changer. Anointing is the game changer. So God says, don't try to pour new wine into that old man. Old man. He says, we'll look at it later. It is the danger of, if you'd ask, like the children of people, Israel said, give us meat, give us meat, give us meat, give us meat, give us meat. God said, okay, take, have meat. If you keep asking for anointing of the old man, he says, I will anoint the old man. I will anoint the old man. Okay, but remember, okay, we'll come back to that later. If I forget, remember, remind me. We have to constantly, this this anointing, it's not a one-time thing. Because as you grow in your righteousness, you have to keep adding to that garment because you are growing. As you are also to be infilled, we will see when uh, uh, Samuel came to Jesse's house and God rejected all the sons. He brought uh, David and we know unlike Saul, he is anointed from the horn which symbolizes power in the Old Covenant, he's anointed in Bethlehem. Saul is dead, and you will see all of Judah comes, and he's anointed again in Judah. Judah anoints him in Hebron. Then when uh, Ishaboseth is dead, Saul's son is dead, all of Israel now comes a third time, and now he's anointed again in Hebron. 
in uh, it's, it's heaven. Jerusalem hasn't been conquered yet. He's in Ab Hebron. Jerusalem, he will conquer later. The Jebusites are holding it. So you will see, anointing is a process. Meaning, as you grow, you have to be anointed more. I can grow in my righteousness with the same level of anointing of the early years. It will not work. You have to be anointed according to your growth. When he is anointed, he defeats Goliath. When he is anointed again, he is king over Judah. When he is king over Israel, that too is not enough. He has to be now anointed as king over all of Israel. Because, because the battle you face will be more. As when as king of Judah, he's fighting 11 tribes who are still aligned with Saul. He's winning. Now when he's anointed over all Israel, he's fighting the enemies of Israel. Okay, that's what, that's what God is talking about. So you have to see it always that way. Let me make a clarification because yesterday people had doubts about it. But let me explain to you. When Pastor Vijay was talking about the chariots of fire and Elijah and the father. father. You see, there is a spiritual thing and there is a physical this thing. In the, the battle is actually in the, in the spiritual. But God will always need something physical on earth. That's why he, he says, I wish there was one man would stand in the gap. If that one man had been standing in the gap fighting for God's people, God says my judgment wouldn't have come. They wouldn't have swept away. But because I found no man, the spiritual realm, the enemy wins. He takes over. Because there is nobody to stand here alone. There may be 10,000 angels fighting, but God needs at least one man here standing up to represent them on earth. So that's what Elijah is on earth. Elijah is that one man who is standing up and God's armies are winning in heaven. Because it's the nature of God's righteousness. It's not a question of God's power. It's not a question of God's power. God's power, he can destroy or he doesn't need a single angel to fight. Because in the last when Jesus comes, there is no angels fighting. By the breath of his, by the word of his mouth, everything is destroyed. But now when righteousness is happening over there, what is happening? There are tons and tons of angels who are willing to fight. But he needs men and women who will stand up and represent them on the earthly realm. There it is real warfare, like you have warfare on earth, real warfare going on. Here it is fasting and praying and standing in the gap interceding. The war here, the way we do it is different. The war, the way it is fought is different. Daniel is fasting for 21 days, so God sent forth angels to fight. And Michael himself comes to fight because Daniel is the only one standing. But he needs one man. That's why through the history of Israel and the biblical history, you will always see in every generation, God will have at least one man. One man. At least one man. That's when I use this term, one man, one man, one man is that. In your particular situation, wherever you are, will you be that one man? Because there is a battle raging over your school, your college, your home, your office. It's a battle raging for the souls of men. And nobody can, God can save them, but he will not save them without you. He will not directly. When it came to the salvation of man, scripture says God saw no one, saw his right hand himself. But if his right hand to work salvation, God himself had to come as man and win the battle. Now he says, will you be that man and women on earth, stand up, and the battle will be won over there. But will you be that one who will go to office and realize, I'm not doing a job, I'm fighting for souls over here. I'm fasting and I'm praying even as I'm working. I realize my purpose in the kingdom is much, much greater. Why? I am a priest and I am a king. I have to exercise the authority of my king over here in the spiritual realm. You may be the most meek, humble person in that place, but spiritually you are different. You are exercising as a priest. The job of the priest was to make intercession. That's why God says pray without ceasing. 
That's where the gift of tongues has been given. And then when people come to you for something, when you open your mouth, it's a prophetic word. You are a prophet. You pray for people. You give them counsel because prophetic word is the word of Christ. That's how you function in your... Otherwise, you will you'll be just another worker like any other worker in the world. And we are not workers. We are workers for God. That's the whole thing I'm praying that 2019 will be absolutely, whether you are a housewife at home or whether you are IT or at all, doesn't matter what your profession is. Never forget in the spiritual realm who you are. You are a king, you are a priest, you are a prophet in function. In function. Don't look at his position and then walk around like a king in your office. That's not what he's talking about. That's why Jesus says, they lord over on earth the kings, but you serve. And ask yourself, how are you serving your company in the spiritual realm. You're not talking about your, how you serve the company in the physical realm. In the spiritual realm, how are you serving? Are you God's servant over there? That's the question you have to ask. That's what God is talking about it all here because positionally it is completely different. In the old covenant, the motivation for fasting, praying, fighting, everything was self and possessing your plot in that kingdom. You ask all Israel, why are you fighting? We will be one behind you, Joshua. We will fight for you. God has promised me a plot there. I will fight. <laughs> now, you know these new companies where they are asking you to buy their shares? Yes, yes. Why? Because they know you will be motivated to work because you own part of the company. That is how the old, that is old covenant. <laughs> but it works. The old covenant, people were motivated to fight. God says, you see, this as I have kept for you. I have this thing, you no know, houses you didn't build, wells you did not dig, gold, silver. Everybody will get a plot of land. Nobody can sell it. So you young boy, don't worry about your father drinking and selling it off. He cannot sell it even if he wants to. I'm making a law. It will be yours. So that's a great, this thing. No, my father can't sell my land off. I will have a plot. And that made them fight. Made the motivation was different. In the new covenant, we are not fighting for any of those things. We are fighting for the king and his kingdom. And the kingdom is souls. It is not land. You know, I, I know you guys were not even probably born then. We had once upon a time a prime minister called Vipi Singh. And one of his, I listened to speeches because I like to hear how they speak. In one of his speeches, he made a very interesting statement. He said, a country is not a map drawn on a piece of paper. It lives in the hearts of the people. And if the hearts are divided, the country is divided. That's a very powerful statement he made, okay? You, you, you don't have India without Indians. It is just a map there, no? So that's why we don't pray for the people of Sahara Desert. Though that's a huge landmass, but there are no people there. There are no people there. So remember, when we talk about the king and the kingdom now on earth, it is souls. It is people. It's not land. It's people. We are, pr we are praying for souls. And when you look at it, when Jesus died on the cross and he rose from the dead, he comes in the evening, he breathes upon his disciples, kingdom has started. 11 people enter into the kingdom. From that day till today, the kingdom has only increased. It has never decreased. That's what God is saying. The church can never decrease. It's impossible. Because every new soul is an addition. The hell is losing. The world is losing. Kingdom of God never loses. Because it started from a account balance of zero. And it's growing, 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 growing. And he says, you're all part of it. 
all part of it in this battle to so as a king you are extending that kingdom of god over here so motivation is completely different we are not looking at anything earthly over here because if you are a father or a mother who's fasting and praying for the for the for, to get your son or daughter to get first rank and a promotion you are just an old testament person you even have understood what is your child's destiny and you may be praying against your child's destiny you don't even understand you're just an old testament pattern fasting and praying without even understanding what the new the new this thing is that your child should serve the king and be part of his entire eternal destiny and not something that is temporary that's what god is talking about every because we saw at uh, esther's fast we saw at samuel's fast we saw ezra's fast and we also saw the a uh, little part of it we saw the widow's fast the widow's fast is because it's a fast of faith she's got only this much like we say atta oil for two rotis the question is the the, uh, the prophet says give it to me and the only way she can give it to him is by faith he says all this but who knows <laughs> who has seen flower multiplying you know because so she has to fast give by faith and you will see when she does things happen Okay, when you have four chapatis, it is easy to give two, but when you only have two, it is difficult to give two. But that is a fast. That is a fast. So we have seen different, and it is all directed again at the king and the kingdom. All our motivation. That's what God says: seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. These things will be added. This is not your motivation. This is not your motivation. in the old covenant this was the motivation see i'm keeping you houses for you i'm keeping wells for you i'm giving gold for you i'm giving cattle for now fight now god says i'm keeping you an unseen kingdom before you and a kingdom and a righteousness you fight these things what you need i will add because these things doesn't matter you can't take it where i am taking you so you don't need too much of this you only need as much as you need for this battle your life is not here your life is there your possession shouldn't be here your possessions are there so what you need here i will keep adding learn to trust me don't fast and pray for more supply he says you are reverting back to the old testament we are basically saying that you don't trust me to give you what you need lord please fast is come lord give me enough for the 30th he said what about 30th what about 30th you are an old covenant person or you are saying lord take me one by today's need is so much lord fifth need is much more because salaries have to be paid so lord i am coming this and you will keep on coming and if you look he has brought us through but our mindset is not changing our issue is our mindset we are still try to bring the old new covenant god and pull him into the old covenant and god says you don't want to that you are missing out you are missing because in the new covenant it is all about jesus said your father not your god your god like if you're going to a king you will say hazur king i am a poor man can you give me a pension you don't go to your father and say daddy give me a pension like <laughs> <laughs> it will sound very funny if you go to your father and say can you give me a pension no you go to your father and says i am hungry so when he changes the entire paradigm shift in that simple prayer your father a father who art in heaven not almighty god or your sovereign king your father who art in thy name thy kingdom thy will this is the motivation everything about our fasting and our prayer and our life is motivated by that and in the process 
we actually now offer our bodies and our lives over to the Lord. In the old covenant, they were not offering their bodies to the Lord. They were asking, Lord, we are fighting our battle for ourselves, so you please pump in all your power into our bodies. Here it's a completely different thing. Completely. He says, Lord, in the process I lose my body here, it's fine. Hebrews 12, 4 will say, in your battle against sin, you have not come to the point of uh, shedding blood. He says, my battle and my enemies are different, Lord. I realize one of my primary battles is against sin. And the way I can sin is by not walking by faith. So I have to walk by faith. And the stumbling block from me walking by faith, one is my body, second is my small, my intellect, my emotions, my will. These are my stumbling blocks. My emotions are my block. My intellect is my block. And if I am not walking by faith, then I am sinning. And in the fight, that's what is happening to Jesus. Jesus is shutting blood because his emotions is kicking up. Lord, I don't want to drink that cup tomorrow. It's his emotions. It's coming up. He says, Lord, I don't want to. But Lord, thy will in that battle, he's shedding blood. It's not his intellect. In his mind, he knows very well. He, the cup is set before me. I will be in my hapa. But his emotions are saying, but I don't want to be separated at all. And you will see this emotion things flying out every day in every home. Do you have to go to work today? Can you can't stay back? I love you, honey. I am going. <laughs> emotions will pull you back. But you know, I love you. I, love I don't want to know. I mean, think about life. A man gets married and then they... 40 days is fine, Shrikant, okay? But, but 400 days would be too much, right? 400 days would be too much. I'm not going anywhere without you. God says there are a lot of things which you will have to do. For that, you will have to go without me. No, he doesn't want to be separated from his father. His emotions kicking up. And emotions is the spiritual man's most terrible enemy. Terrible enemy because emotions cloud and we are not able to see. And that's what is happening. And Hebrews 12 and verse 11 will say that they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. But that's not the key. That's not the key. The key is that they did not love their lives even unto death. They did not. So they are saying, I'm willing to lose here. I'm absolutely fine to lose here. In the process, if I die, it's okay. It's okay. Okay, because if you are not willing to die, you cannot fight this battle. Because in every battle, there are casualties. You don't have battles without casualties. People die. People die in battles. So that's why God's servants die. But they're not afraid to die. If you're not, if you're afraid to die, you cannot win. After some point, you will start turning around and running. Okay, so that's what God is talking. So, 2019, let there be a complete shift in our thinking. Otherwise, January 1st, tomorrow will be just like 31st. But purpose has to change. Motivation has to change. And zeal for His house should consume us. His house, not our house. We are all consumed by zeal for our own house. That's why we fast for our breakthrough. We fast for our children. We fast for all these things. But zeal for his house does not consume. When Jesus was consumed, it was consumed by zeal for his father's house. And we are his house. You know? And uh, we looked at different fastings. Remember, today, as I close, I want to look at 
one more fasting because we looked at emotions. Okay, emotions, God made us with emotions, but emotions have been absolutely warped after the fall. Emotions change, okay. Our ears before Adam and Eve were walking together, they were naked, they were not ashamed, they loved each other, everything was balanced. A little later they have fallen. Once they have fallen, they are naked, they are ashamed, they covered themselves, they are afraid. Scripture says when God came, they were hiding. When God said, what did you do? They said, we were afraid, we were ashamed. And God said, did you eat from the fruit which I told you? Immediately emotions have changed. Yesterday, I love you so much, honey. You say, now that's a woman. <laughs> emotions have changed. From that day, emotions have been warped. Okay, emotions have completely changed. Okay, and the problem is negative emotional habits can become our worst enemy. Worst enemy. Worst. And we actually feed the enemy with our emotions. We don't feed God. Like I, I tell uh, Pastor Vijay, when we sit and talk, I tell Vijay, Vijay, I said, tell Vijay, we are not emotional people. We are passionate people. We are passionate for God. We are passionate for God's purpose. We are not emotional and there's a whole lot of difference between the two. We are passionate for God that if it comes, we'll sacrifice our everything for God. We are not emotional about them. We are passionate about God. We are passionate for the salvation of our siblings, our children. We are not emotional about them. Because if we are emotional about them, we will feed them to their death. Instead of starving them to life. If you are emotional then God cannot use you. There were 7,000 other people who had not bent their knees to Baal. But God couldn't use them because I believe they are emotional. Well, at that time, Elijah is so passionate for God and his people. Therefore, he will stand before them and says, None of you, no promotion this year. No increment no this year. You are going to really suffer this year until you repent and turn back to God. He's a passionate man for God and for their salvation and not for their physical needs. That is the difference between passion and emotion. Emotion will say, you, this child is hungry, shall we feed him? That fellow will never change. He will never turn around and you're just, your emotions is feeding him to destruction. That's so the prodigal son and the father's story. Let him lie in the pig pen. Let him die over there. I will pray for him. I will wait for him the last day. But it is not emotion. I'm passionate for his salvation. That's what Samuel will say. You will never see my face again, he tells Saul. I'll never feel, but I will never cease praying for you. I'll never cease. I will not sin by not praying for you, but you will not see my face. If you see my face, it will be in a different context altogether. You repent, you turn around and come, you see my face. But I will never cease praying for you. So understand this difference between emotions and being passionate for God because we confuse one for the other. And that can be one of the worst downfalls of anybody, all of us, when we put emotion in the front. That's why I tell you these children, all of you sitting over here, 15 years, 16 years, 17 years, 18 years, all sitting over here. Are you studying? Yes. Do you have a job? No. And what are you falling in love for? It's not a joke, it's serious. What are you falling in love for? Can you get married? Can you support your husband, your wife? No. So it is an emotion. 
There's got no reason, no sense, nothing. It's been set up by the enemy to destroy your future. On the other hand, when God makes you fall in love with somebody, you will be so passionate for God and passionate for purpose and I'm going to do the best I can be so that when I get a job, I will have something to feed my wife. That's the difference. This is all emotions, head in the clouds and feet hanging like Absalom, head in the trees, going nowhere. Understand what is passion and what is emotions. What is emotions and what is passions? And don't get fooled because the devil knows very well emotions are very, very powerful. Very, very, very powerful. The problem is the passionate Elijah stood, did everything and then he was threatened. Once he was threatened, he ran. He ran. And look at that portion in First Kings chapter 19. Because we are going to, for this final day, uh, a different kind of a fast, which is Elijah's fast. First Kings, chapter 19. And verse 4. While he himself went a day's journey into the desert, he came to a broom tree. Uh, anybody's got a KJV, I would like, like, like you to read from KJV. Sat down under it and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life, I am no better than my ancestors. Yeah. Read KJV. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness nice. and came and sat down under a broom tree. Under a broom tree? And he prayed that he might die and said, hmm. It is enough. Hmm. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Okay. Elijah's problem was not visible. <coughs> Elijah's problem was his state of mind. What's the state of mind? His emotional makeup. It was not Jezebel. Jezebel was not the problem. His problem was his mindset. His emotions has taken over. He says, I want to die. I want to die. I had enough. You know what happens? If you continue in that state of mind, it can become a habit. Can become what? A habit. Discouragement, depression becomes a habit. The word habit comes from the cloth which the nuns wear. It is called a habit because it has become your dress. Oh boy. That's what it is called, what they wear. You see Sister Mary Joseph, she wears a habit. A lot of people who are not nuns and priests are wearing habits. Habits of discouragement, habits of depression, they are wearing it. It's a state of mind. It's a state of mind. Emotions have taken over and emotions have cloud that their emotions itself becomes the block to them being used by God further and the salvation of those God has committed into their hands. I keep telling my wife, we, because we have five children, I tell her, I am not emotional about the children. Absolutely no. My only thing is that these five should know God and walk with God. And whatever it will take that, I will do it. If I have to throw a few out of the house, I will kick them out of the house. If that's the only way, they will come to their senses. I'm not going to feed their habits. Because I am looking at their eternity and not their temporary success over here. 
Temporary success, anybody, that to given everybody, you got an education, you can succeed on your own, you don't need me for that. But there's something much more important here, it is eternity, it is destiny. That is where our emotion, that's where this whole fasting is to come to change our mindset completely different. I have to look at the kingdom, his righteousness and the demands of the kingdom. I am passionate about the king and I am passionate about the souls of my people. That's how you should say, I am passionate about the souls. We cannot feed habits, we cannot feed, like yesterday we were talking about, you know, like, like, my mother is 84 years old, yes, she's 84 years old, but she's got a stinking attitude. And I'm not going to feed it because I'm not interested in making her happy at 84 by feeding her emotions. I'm more happy that if she dies this year, she needs to go to a right place. Oh boy. See, you can have a false peace by feeding the emotions of somebody who is walking in, in their, in their garment of habit. And you are not feeding that because you are feeding yourself because you are buying peace at the cost of salvation. The prodigal son could have been kept home and he could have been given everything what he wanted in the home. Son, you don't have to go. What do you want? Freedom. Freedom. You go do whatever you want. I will never ask you. Just stay here so that I feel so good. God's father said, go. Take your thing and go. This is where emotions come in. And the kingdom of God is not based on emotion. God was so passionate about us, he came and he died for us. And that's why they did not receive him. They didn't want him to die for them. They wanted him to live for them and make Israel like Rome. And God said, no, I have come to set you free. Understand this thing, because this is the pitfall of Elijah. Elijah has become so depressed and discouraged. He says, I want to die. And God is saying, you walk over. The kingdom is still under Ahab and Jezebel. You want to die? Your ministry is not even over. You want to die? Look at the mindset, no? In Isaiah 58, no? We looked at the last, that's the four ones we were looking two days, three days, four days, remember? Isaiah 58 and verse 6, we said the four things which God uses during the actual fast he accepts. The kind of fasting I have chosen, not man has chosen, God has chosen. To loosen the chains of injustice, bands of wickedness. That's the first one. We looked at it that and we saw that, right? Then, second one. Yeah, undo the heavy burdens. We saw that from Ezra. Then, we saw that from Samuel's fast. And the fourth one is to break every yoke. Okay, the anointing is to break the yoke. And we don't realize the yokes that are inside. Elijah had a yoke. It was the yoke of... See, Jesus said, my yoke is very light. Every other yoke is heavy. Every other... And the burden is also very heavy. As long as he walked with God, with God's mindset, standing before Ahab was not a problem, living alone in Chariot was no problem, sitting in the old widow's house in Zarephath was not a problem, standing all along Mount Carmel was not an... Uh, all that yoke was light because it was the yoke of Christ. Minute he ran from that yoke and took up his own yoke of discouragement and depression, it's very heavy. He's not able to bear it, so his prayer is, let me die. He can't carry it. Well, Jesus said... My yoke is light and my burden, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. That's how we have to look at it and say, is the burden, is it, it's, is it light or is it heavy? If it's heavy, it's, it's, 
It's a yoke, not of God. It has to be broken. It has to be broken. And I'm carrying something which I shouldn't be carrying. This is not of God. Because Jesus said very clearly about yokes. Clearly about yokes. And then you need to fast. You need to fast. He is fasting. He is fasting. Okay, the reason is that, you know, even even when you are moving in life, all of us, not just me, all of us are in ministry, meaning we are serving God. That's what ministry is called. We are all serving God in different places. Even when we when we are moving in ministry, our goal is God's goal. It's not our personal goal. I have nothing personal in this journey. Nothing personal in this journey. Otherwise, what will happen is that you can walk through ministry with God's goal and your personal goal side by side. And then what happens is when the personal goal is not achieved, even though God's goal is achieved, you're discouraged. Because these two wills were going side by side. Yes, I'm doing God's will. At the end of it, I'm also hoping my will also will be done. And that doesn't happen because that was never part of God's will. Because I have a feeling this was what he thought. God anointed him. He ran faster than Ahab's chariot, reached the gates and he's waiting over there. Ahab goes in and he's telling Ahab will go and tell Jezebel, you know what? Today, wow, fire came down. God of Elijah is the real God. All your prophets are dead. Let's go out and invite him in and tell him, Elijah, you are the priest and the prophet of Israel. It didn't happen that way. She said, I am going to take your life. Though God's will has been done, his will was not done. So many times it can happen that way. So many, you know, a lot of, I'm talking to parents and young people and all, no, I studied so much and I was hoping to become an engineer. Did God want you to be that? You know what? I put so much into my daughter and she didn't clear the entrance. Did God want her to be that? Did you see God's will? Did you give them the discipline of study instead of them the glory of a career? What did you put in? Career is chosen by God. Discipline is put in by you. What did you choose? You chose God's part. Only God is God. Only God is God. Only God is God. This is what happens. We have to be very, very, very clear because this doesn't affect the world. They can go in their own way. God has said it doesn't matter. Let them succeed. Let them eat well. Let them wear crowns on earth and go to hell. But you are my children. Literally, he says, let them go to hell. I hope they don't go. But he says, if they don't believe in my son, they will go. But you are different. You are not created for this earth. You are created for eternity. Your goals are different. Your motivation is different. Everything is different. Whatever I do in you has to last an eternity. Not for 60 years, 70 years. This is what is happening to this man. Motivation was wrong. For a level, motivation was right and wrong. Not fully wrong, right and wrong. Look at John chapter 6 and verse 15. What happens when Jesus has fed the multitude, 5,000 people, men, children, women, everybody. Read 6 and verse 15. <coughs> loudly, loudly, loudly. And when evening came, his disciples went down to the sea. John 16 and verse 15. 6, 6, 6, 6. Verse 15. 
When Jesus perceived that by force they have come to make him king. Yeah, read the next part. He departed again to a mountain by himself alone. Alone. They want to make him king. But that's not what father has said. He said you need to die and then I will make you king. The people want him to live and make him king. So he just walked away from the crowd and his disciples and went alone to get his motivation right again. Back again in line. Because it's incredible when a crowd of 5,000, 10,000 people start shouting, King, King, King. You, it, it gets you. That's the problem with mobs. Crowd. That's what happens in crowd. Even the best of men become the worst of men in the middle of a mob. And you and I have to learn to be isolated in a crowd. We don't let, we don't follow the crowd. That's why the men of God in the Bible always stepped aside from the crowd and did not allow the crowd to pull them. That's why I always tell my young people, you know why? Why you always pick on your haircut is because you are part of the crowd. You're all waiting for the end. The Holocaust is going to come. Final third world war will be the nuclear bombs and the, so you have this mushroom already cloud on your head. <laughs> Look at me and believe. Look at me and believe. No. no, I have no issues if that is your consistent. I'm talking because you know the word. If that is your consistent hairstyle for the next five years. No, next two months later, another hairstyle will come. You change it. So you don't realize everything. You're becoming part of the crowd. And that Jesus knew this thing. He walked away from the crowd. He walked away from the crowd. He refused to be part of the crowd. As long as the crowd and God's intention, his life was the same, he was part of the crowd. God loves the hungry. He feels compassionate for the hungry. He feeds them. But when the crowd wants to make him king, he walks away. You need to know when to be with the crowd and when to walk away from the crowd. When you are going to the crowd, because you are a priest, a prophet and a king, you are meeting a need of the crowd through the resources of heaven. But when the same crowd wants to make you king, you walk away by saying, no, I, there is only one king and that's not me. Jesus says, there is no king. He is the king, not me. And I'm walking away. You know, I still remember, vividly I remember it. I don't know whether Pastor Vijay remembers. It was in Faith City. A pastor and a wife came and uh, they preached. They had come from Australia. It was a very powerful message. They preached and they prayed uh, no, they didn't pray. Uh, at the end, they called somebody else to pray. And as soon as we finished praying, we opened their eyes, they had gone. They just gone. And when I asked them later, why did you go away? They said, we do not want an appreciation from the crowd. We did God's work and we just walked away. I still remember these little, little things you remember when you meet servants of God. I still remember them saying, I said, why did you walk away? They said, I simply, because we don't want appreciation from the crowd. We don't want it getting into our head. We did God's service. He worked through us. Who are we to take any appreciation? If we take appreciation, then I did the work. Nothing is going to come out of it. But if it is God who did the work, he deserves the glory. You know, you have to look at all this thing, how you keep yourself motivated, motivated, you know. So, we have to ask ourselves this thing. Because the problem is, we don't see the full picture of what God is doing. That's when we get discouraged. Let's go back to First Kings chapter 19 and verse 10. He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. 
The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left and now they are trying to kill me too. Did you see something that why, what it went wrong over there? You can have it in a negative and both ways it can. If you look at that statement Elijah makes in that chapter uh, 19 and verse 10, look at how many times he uses the word I. His focus is on him and not on God. I, 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 I alone. And what did God say? God say, he will say later in verse 18, you got it wrong. Yet I reserve 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal. He said, you're wrong. You're wrong. That's why we, we when we talk, you know, Vijay and I, we, when we talk, we always say that we just have to do what God has committed into. The whole burden of the world is not on my shoulders. The only burden that is on my shoulders is what God has called me to do through GTC. I don't have to worry about all the world. Because if I worry about the whole world, Lord, how will the whole world be saved? God says, you shut up and sit down. There are 7,000 others who are doing the same job. <laughs> you know? That's basically that happens. Because, you know, we are moved. Oh, I have to take all the orphans and feed them. God says, you will never, you will all never have enough money. Because I never asked you to do that. That is what happens. We run after a cause. Instead after running after God. The cost is God's. And he has got different people handling it. And we are just one speck among it. One speck among it. That's what happened to him. In English we have a saying. I I still remember 35 years ago I had that poster in my hostel room. Do not bite more than you can chew. Don't bite more than you can. Okay, you should. Most of all, you should know yourself well. Like John the Baptist. Okay, here was a man sent by God. They come and ask him, are you this? Are you this? No. Are you this? Are you this? Are you this? Who are you? One, you should know who you are not. Two, you should know who you are. You know, that's how you keep this balance. This is how you keep your balance. And, God is working through me. I'll read two statements I wrote in the morning. They will look similar, but they're absolutely different. God is working through me, not I am working through God. Paul will say, I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. That's a different thing altogether. Okay, I can do all things okay, through Christ Jesus. But God is working through me. Therefore, it's God who is working. I am working through God. So it is my will. I am appropriating God's power to do my stuff. Or God is appropriating me because I have committed to a life of fasting, praying, giving, so that he does through me. That's the purpose. That's why I said this is not seven days. This should be a lifestyle after this year. So God will self eat, sleep, eat, sleep. There are 40 days fasting for you, Elijah. Because I have to break your mindset. 40 days fasting for you. Eat nicely for a day. If you need to break some mindset, nicely. 
sleep, rest nicely, eat nicely, then get up and go on a 40 day fast. Where are you going? You're going to Horeb. What is Horeb? Horeb is the mountain where Moses heard God and got the law. You have to, in your fasting, go back to the place where you heard God very clearly the first time and he showed you his kingdom and his righteousness. That's where you need to go back. Not not every mountain. There are mountains on which you have seen his great victory. That is Carmel. Don't go there. Don't go there. You have gone to Pisgah from where you have seen the promised land, your future, your destiny. Don't go there. You have to go to that place where God talked about his righteousness. Go to that place where you clearly go to that mountain. Be there. Go 40 days. And also remember there, he's sharpening your senses. In verses 11 to 13, he says, Go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord, for the Lord is about to pass by. Scripture says, A great and a powerful wind tore the mountains apart, shattered the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. Question is, how did he know? Because he was listening carefully. In the wind, is there a voice? There was the wind and there was no voice. And then there came an earthquake and he was listening. In the massive sound of rocks and everything falling, is there the voice of God? No sound. Then there was a fire. And after the Lord was not in the fire, but after the fire came a gentle whisper. That's what fasting and praying does. When you have separated yourself from the crowd to be God alone and you have fasted, your senses are down, your soul is under control, you will even hear God speaking to you in the softest of whispers. You will hear. God is whispering to him. For our sake, not for his sake. God could have spoken to him loudly because it doesn't matter to God or him. But because he's teaching a lesson to generations for eternity, he's saying, Learn, because the voice of the spirit in your spirit is like a gentle whisper. If you are so, that's why I always worry about my men, my older men, that I keep telling, you know, don't become intellectual Christians. Please don't become intellectual Christians. Keep your faith very, very simple. Yes, we read them, but we don't dwell on them. We read Timothy Keller, we read all these people, but we don't dwell on any one of them because keep faith very, very simple because if faith becomes very intellectual, which is a real faith, but you will miss the whisper of God. Because your mind is full of arguments. Oh, this fellow said that, that is against scripture. This fellow said that's against scripture. This is the way. Your soul is so full of the sounds of God that you forget the wise. Okay. Lord was passing by. The wind was sent by God, but God was not in the wind. The earthquake was sent by God, but God was not in the earth. The fire was sent by God, but God was not in the fire. And 40 days earlier, or 41 days earlier, God was in the fire. But today, 41 days later, God is in the whisper. It's in the whisper. 41 days earlier on Mount Carmel, God was in the fire. 41 days later, God saying to you, for the people, it was fire to bring them back. But you, my servant, listen to my whisper. I will lead you that way. That's the whole thing. Now, our whole problem is that God is not speaking. God is speaking. We are not able to hear because our mind is full of sounds. Full of sounds. That's why we have to have this practice, not only fasting and praying, but a time of separation from everybody else. 
one on one with God, we have to spend that time. We have to. Otherwise, we will miss the whisper. And it is in the whisper, destiny is decided. And future generations are hanging on that whisper. He says, what are you doing here, Elijah? Whisper, what are you doing here, Elijah? You know, when I preached in, uh, when I went, I did that pastor's conference in Kathmandu, I like what, it's expensive, but I like what they did. First, they said, our pastors, they're so distracted. And the phone rings all the time. So they took all the elders and the pastors out of the city, three hours away, into a resort. Okay, away. And second thing they told them is, one thing, signals don't come here well. Two, don't use your phones. Okay. And they had, they had never heard me. They never seen me, this thing. Okay. So the first day, everybody came, settled everything down. We had one session. Next day, there was one or two, one kid was there. Next day, early morning, it's cold, colder than this, very cold. When I came out in the morning, and I was, I was, my usual re- regime of fasting, and I came out in the morning, I saw this man with a small child in the front of his bike. And I said, why are you taking this little child in the cold? He says, and I got a relative where I want to drop the child because I don't want any disturbance. You know, what they actually told was that, you no know, one lady was calling up and telling him, said, you should be in this meeting because you can hear a pin drop. Because nobody is missing a word because they have never heard a word like this. Never. Absolute pin drop silence. Absolute pin drop silence. Hour after hour, everybody was listening so they could. Because they were simple people, so the sound system was very bad. So you couldn't even rely on the sound system. So what happened, if everybody had to hear, there had to be absolute silence. Okay. God is talking about that. There has to be absolute silence in our soul to be able to hear what God is telling in our spirit. You see, sometimes the first day of fasting, you don't hear much because you can actually hear the rumblings in your stomach. <laughs> Things moving around and no, and your mind is, what is going to come out of this? Is there any need? I don't know why pastor keeps on calling this fast. Mind is talking, stomach is talking. Two days, three days, four days, suddenly things are still. Mind is also still. Mind is also still. Okay, you have put aside. You have to. That's why the Bible calls it an affliction of the soul. Not just the affliction of the body. It's an affliction of the oh my soul. So David will keep talking. I believe he's fasting when he's writing all these psalms. That is a man who king who fasted, but he's always talking to his soul. Shut up. Be still. Don't move. Sit there. Let me listen to my God. He's forever talking to his soul. You keep quiet. You keep quiet. I'm listening to you speaking. You keep quiet. And that's what God is talking about. This should become our discipline. Even children sitting over here. God speaks to children. God speaks to children. You know, that it becomes a lifestyle for us where God is telling them, here you are, Elijah. He replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant broker, and I am the only one. Again, he's coming. You see his mindset? Lord, get that mindset. And we are not able to hear the voice of God. Why? That mindset. You may be a good worker. I'm not saying you're a bad worker. You're an excellent worker. But you have this mindset. Because of that, you are not able to here, I am the only one working over here, Lord. Why don't you tell my sister to come and help me? Because of that mindset, she couldn't hear the voice of Jesus, though he's in her house. It's the same mindset. I'm not saying people with this mindset are bad workers. Elijah is a fantastic servant of God and Martha is an excellent cook, hard worker. 
but she is not able to hear the voice of God which will determine her destiny. Though he is sitting there in his house, he has visited very few houses. She should be so happy, my house is one of the houses God has come. Let me sit at his feet and hear what he has to say. You know what? This is nothing, it's not nothing negative about your capacity or your capabilities. Question about hearing God. This mindset blocks us from hearing. And that's what Jesus tells us. Says, Martha, Martha, you are distracted and disturbed by so many things. Only one thing is needed. What is that one thing? Sit down here at my feet. Get out of the crowd, mindset all. So Elijah is brought. God could have come to that place where he's sitting under a tree and spoken to him. He wouldn't have heard. So God says, you eat for couple of minutes and then you walk 40 days up the mountain. Separate yourself from the further, 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 further you go. Clarity will come. Still your mindset, you're still talking of me only, me only, me only, poor me, poor me, poor me, me only. Like Trump will this thing. I'm waiting for this settlement border wall. Poor me only sitting alone in the White House for Christmas. And he put it, poor me. In brackets while he tweeted, poor me. So that mindset can be there from bottom till the president. You can live in a white house with secret service security and poor me. So it's got nothing to do with who you are. It's got to do with your mindset. Poor me. That's what he's again saying. Poor me. God says. No. He says. God said. He says. Go back the way you came. He says go back you way came. Look at what God is saying. He's actually telling Elijah. There's only one way I will tell you. You will break out of this mindset. Go back this way. Pour your life into the next generation. You're thinking too much about yourself. You're not thinking about the next generation. Pour your life in the next generation. Your mindset is gone. It will break through. There is no other. This, this is, see, you think by fasting for 40 days and hearing from God, the mindset will go. He says, no, that is one and two. There is a third step. You fasted for 40 days, step one. You heard from God, step two. But the mindset to be broken is stop thinking about yourself and start pouring your life into the next generation. Amen. I did not call you to do all the work, but you have to train others to continue your work. Your legacy should not be your work. Your legacy should be the next generation who took up the burden. That's your legacy. That's your legacy. Now we always talk about the hang all our certificates. You see, this is what I did. No, that's people in the world. You know, in the world. If people were to ask me my legacy, you know, they'll say, it's the children. For my birth in the spirit, who has taken up the burdens and continuing the work. That's the legacy. Not my work. My actual work, legacy is what the others have picked up. And that's how you have to look at it. And that's what he's telling you. You want to break out of this mindset? Stop focusing on yourself. Focus on the next generation. You will break out. And you will see he obeys. And the journey begins. And it's a new, complete paradigm shift for Elijah. After that, you hardly hear about Elijah. You don't see Elijah. Pastor Vijay, the theologians and this thing he's put together, he says 18 years. For 18 years, you don't hear anything about Elijah. Did you hear anything about Elijah for 18 years? Nothing. But he's doing such a great work framing the life of a young man who will change the next generation. That is a hidden work which God is doing. And only when you have heard from God, you realize, oh my gosh, in my generation, my job was to turn the hearts of the people to God. 
but I had another work to prepare another one who will turn the hearts of his generations back to God. And the difference between that man and this man, that man never runs. That man never runs. He is not afraid of anybody. Kings are afraid of him. He is not afraid of any king. He has actually got the double portion of Elijah's spirit without his mindset. Without his mindset. And his first act as a prophet is an act of violence. He is anointed. He comes out. Some 49, 50 young people from him says, Hey, Baldi, Baldi. He said, Am I a Baldi? Servant of God, Baldi. He calls out two bears who come and kill the children. It's a man of war. This is a man who ran. This is a man who will never run. Never run. Because mindset is different. Okay, That's what God is talking about. When we are creating a generation of spiritual warriors who will not run, who will not faint, who will not back off from a battle with the enemy. They said, Lord, here I am. I will fight the bears and I will use the bears to fight your people. The rebellion. I will do both. With the bear, I will kill the bear. But if it's your people, I'll call a bear to kill your people. I'm not backing out of fetish. I'm not saying you use a bear to kill people. Okay? Like, oh, old, old Testament patterns. Okay, what I'm saying. Understand, become a generation who fights. Fights God's battles. Fight those battles. Don't be emotional, wishy-washy, here today, there tomorrow, where nobody can count on you. Count on you. Okay? And uh, he's not included in that one. He is not included. Cyrus is not included. Eric is not included. There are a lot of no, no. Sajal in Sikkim is not anyone. Nima Sharpa in Sikkim is not included. But um, another one in Nepal, five, six in Nepal are not included. Because any time I go to a place, first time, second time, they look at me. I look at them. They are in different churches. They come to me and say, "You are our father." I know they are included. They don't say pastor. They don't say pastor anymore. They said, "You are our Baba." Our father speak to us. And I have so many children. And I speak to them. And I speak to them. I'm able to speak as a father. As a father, I'm able to speak to them. And they take it. They take correction. They take scolding. They take counsel. They take anything. From a father, you will take everything. Everything. For a teacher, you won't take everything. You won't take everything. From a counselor, you will not take everything. That is the difference why Alicia says, My father, my father. Alicia doesn't say, my prophet, my leader, my teacher, my counsel, all that he was. What he says is, father, I took it all from you, and you were my father to my soul. And that is why scripture says, in the last days, because of his people fasting and praying, God will turn the hearts of the children back to the fathers. How does a children's heart, they will receive anything from the father, good and the bad, and the ugly, they will receive it. Those are children. Because you cannot accept discipline from the father. You are not a child. You are a rebel. You are a rebel. And he turns and he says, he will turn the hearts of the fathers back to the children. Where they will not have an emotional, sloppy love. They will take tough and firm decisions because they see the destiny and the future of their children. And they will say, this is what you need to do. There have been terrible, difficult life in the physical for Elisha to walk behind Elijah, cook his food, wash his clothes, carry his water. And in the process, he's learning, 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 learning. Everything from this man is learning. That's what God is talking about 2019. We learn from God. And we say, Lord, I am your son. 
You know, that's what scripture talks about. Moses was the most faithful in the house of God as a servant. But Jesus was in the most faithful in the house of God as a son. Moses was a servant in the house. Jesus was the builder of the house. Ask yourself, what are you? Are you a builder? Are you a builder? Or are you a servant? And God say, Lord, I want to be a builder. I want to be part of your building process. I'm building your kingdom. I want you a builder, not just a servant. The servant takes his wages and goes. The builder is interested in the entire construction because his reputation and his father's reputation lies on it. See life that way. Amen?